Well, we're going to turn in our scriptures to the book of Numbers and chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. And we'll read from verses 1 to verse 12. Numbers chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice or eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of his head, hair of his head grow. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean, even for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister, when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation shall be holy to the Lord. And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him, and if he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and make atonement for him because he sinned in regard to the corpse. And he shall sanctify his head that same day. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb in its first year as a trespass offering. But the former days shall be lost because his separation was defiled. And it continues in that vein and I'm sure you're ahead of me now to we understand the subject this evening is in fact the one who was born as a Nazarite from before his birth and we'll come to look at that so let's turn again over to the book of Judges and this time we come to chapter 13 before we get deeply involved in the details of this chapter I just want to draw your attention to the fact that as we come to Samson Samson in many ways is different uh, to the other 11 judges Um, as we shall see the army the Hebrew army it was the fact that God granted them the victory the people and the land of course at this time once these deliverance had taken place had a period of rest and a period of uh, peace for the first few anyway uh, after the victory had been won and then once the deliverer in each case dies of course the nation reverts to type and falls away 
from worshipping the God. And we noted right at the very beginning that the whole period of the judges, uh, the whole cycle of events involving all 11 and probably 12 judges, including Samson, lasts for a period of around 400 years. And it's interesting, isn't it, that this is a period of 400 years following a period of 400 years in bondage in Egypt. You could say they came out of the frying pan into the fire in many ways, but such is the nature of men, isn't it, that uh, although we are often delivered, we revert to type very quickly without some controlling, some guiding influence. So this is the theme of the book up to the point that we've reached so far. And I just want to uh, introduce you to this. Uh, This little uh, introduction is from the uh, book by Dr. Alfred Edisheim, who wrote this wonderful history of the Old Testament. It's a commentary on the whole of the Old Testament, but written very much like a novel, like a history book. And he brings out so many, being a converted Jew and a Jewish scholar as well, he brings out so many wonderful details. And he reminds us here, doesn't he, that uh, this other name recorded in the epistle to the Hebrews uh, appears amongst the Old Testament worthies. And a title, uh, the elevation, if you like, to that uh, great group of uh, heroes, that group of heroes who through faith subdued kingdoms or righteousness obtained promises and so we come to this thought that we have to consider concerning Samson it's important I think just to keep this and this statement here helps us to keep this in perspective we're dealing with a man here who for the time that he was successful was actually acting under the auspices under the get the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit. He says the question cannot be dismissed with a summary answer for if, as we believe, the Holy Spirit pronounced such judgment on these activities as a judge, and then careful and truthful study of his history must bear it out. And he goes on to reinforce that by saying that it be remembered that it is of Samson's activity as a judge and under the impulse of the Spirit of God that is under consideration and not every activity of his life we're not looking at every day by day happening every day by day almost minute by minute occurrence in the affairs of Samson's life and in many ways this was true of the other judges they were brought onto the scene they carried out their work on God's purposes and eventually they disappear from the scene And so this is true of Samson. The reason why I think it is that uh, Dr. Edishine makes this point is, of course, we know that in many other parts of Samson's life, he was a great sinner, he was a great failure. And so, Israel at the time of Samson... Did I... That's it. The Philistine oppression... We noticed it on the map. The Philistine oppression, the record of it begins after the victory, that's the victory of the Philistines at the Battle of Aphek. And that was the battle, if you remember, after which the people of Israel were soundly defeated 
and the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant that was captured and we can read all about that there in the first book of Samuel chapter 4 verses 1 to 11 and the oppression ends the Philistine oppression ends with the battle at Mizpah and the leader at this time was Samuel great prophet himself was leading the armies and they won the victory over Israel over the Philistines at that particular battle and that's recorded just a few chapters further on in 1 Samuel chapter 7 verses 7 to 13 and this cruel and evil oppression lasted for 40 years it seems doesn't it as you look at uh, the um, table of the judges they were either 40 years or 80 years or 20 years but I think overall it seems the duration the most frequent duration is about 40 years and that's a long time isn't it for a nation to be under the oppression we're seeing uh, there aren't many wars that we've seen in this world that have lasted apart from historians the hundred years war between England and France um, covered the rule of many kings but there aren't many wars that we can recall are we that have lasted 40 years uh, there hasn't been that degree of occupation uh, and conquering in men's history but if we go back to the Old Testament times of course these are times that God brings upon the nation himself in order to bring them eventually back to himself so everything has a purpose and in these cases everything was a good for a good purpose uh, that uh, the people might be brought back uh, might come back to God call for his aid and assistance and for a period of time anyway continue to worship the true God and so it is that uh, as Samson comes on the scene Israel need another uh, yet another work of God to deliver them from their oppressors now it's very interesting if you look in chapter 13 we read just verses 1 and 2 and again the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them in the hand of the Philistines for 40 years and verse 2 reads now there was a certain man from Zorah and the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah and so it goes on and what you notice in this case is that there is no record that the people of Israel cry to the Lord for deliverance God is going to act here uh, without any cry for deliverance cry for um, help uh, cry to be relieved from this oppression God is going just to act and so what we see as we go through this is that God does act he acts to provide yet another deliverer and the fact that he does act is an indication of his great mercy and his great love here's a little quote from our friend Dal Ralph Davis he says the fact that God acts that that is grace grace greater than all our sin greater than all our stupidity than all our density and he says this and this is an interesting thought for if Yahweh's help were only given when we prayed for it only when we asked for it only when we had sense enough to seek it 
what paupers and orphans we would be. What a fundamental thought that is, perhaps even to take into our prayer time. God acts even when we don't, when we don't have the sense, we're too dense to look at our situation. It was likely, you see, that the reason the people didn't cry out was that they'd been in for bondage for 40 years, or at this time it may have only been 20 years, halfway through, we're told, was halfway through the period of oppression uh, when Samuel Samson came on the scene. So that's a very challenging thought, a very interesting thought, that perhaps even though the people have been in bondage, and of course they could look back many hundreds of years, uh, they've been told by their parents that stories have come down generation after generation of the continued oppression and those periods of time uh, when they've been under the uh, oppression of a foreign power and the story would have told them that God had delivered them time and time again. But yet, in this case, they don't come and cry out for deliverance. So, what we're beginning to notice now is a change in God's plan. There is no immediate deliverer appointed. God doesn't look across his plan and say, oh yes, so-and-so, I'll call him. He can... uh, receive the spirit and he can then build up the army and he can then go and deliver the people no this is not the way things are going to happen in this deliverance and in many ways it points to the complete uh, role that God himself plays almost directly in this time in this episode of deliverance you see the birth of the appointed deliverer, or we could in some ways use the term saviour, is here announced by the angel of the Lord himself. Verse 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children. It's rather a harsh way, one might think, to remind her of her barrenness. But, it says, um, but you shall conceive and bear a son this is the announcement by the angel of the Lord and as we shall go on to see this was probably Christ himself Jesus Christ himself in a pre-incarnate form we know that in other cases we'll just look in a minute it was perhaps the angel Gabriel or others that came and spoke but here we have the angel of the Lord and we know probably again to add to this that it was he that he spoke with authority. Would you look at that in a minute? He uses the first person form in speaking as God in his reply to Manoah. And he does eventually, as we get down to that bit, refer to his name as wonderful. Cue Isaiah. So there we are. We have these three indications that this was the pre-incarnate form of Jesus Christ. And we can just add to this, note the other important births that were announced in a similar way, can't we? There's Isaac, the angel of the Lord came to Abraham and to Sarah, came to Abraham and said in due time, uh, Sarah will have a son, and Isaac came. And then there was Hannah, uh, to whom the Lord came and announced the birth of Samuel, 
John the Baptist, the angel came to Mary, uh, sorry, to her husband. Said he can't? Can't remember. <laughs> it's amazing. You get old, you can't remember these things. There's John the Baptist, and then Jesus himself, the angel, comes to Mary. And he comes to all these three individuals. They were all mothers who had not yet uh, born children until the time that God uh, deems it's right <coughs> and wants to bring the child, a particular child, into this world. And so the announcement is made, and here it is, clear and properly. It says, Indeed you are now barren and born no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. So the conclusion of this little passage of statements is that God saw that Samson's birth was to be something outstanding in the history of his people. Many, many Jewish children were born over the centuries. But it uh, pleased Almighty God to announce the birth of some key, a very important individuals. And so it is with Samson, and so in many ways he is set apart, he will be set apart, and we go to look at that now. Samson is to be a Nazarite. Now, this wasn't Samson's decision, this wasn't Manoah's decision, this wasn't his wife's decision, this was the decision of God that Samson should be a Nazarite. And as we looked, there is this link, of course, with Jephthah last time, we looked at Jephthah's vow in some details, and just to remind ourselves of what we thought there, this is a slide from last time. Vows in scripture were offerings the Israelites pledged to God to thank him for his blessings or help. Vows were strictly voluntary, but once they were made, their fulfilment became obligatory. And whatever a person gave to God as a vow became holy or set apart to the Lord. It could not be given and then taken back. It belonged to God. This total consecration made vows a serious proposition. So, Samson to be a Nazarite. And it was central, wasn't it? It's the first thing that the angel says uh, to Manoah's wife. Now, therefore, please be careful not to eat, drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the land of the Philistines. He was to be a Nazarite all the days of his life, even from the womb, meaning that the complete duration of his life, every day of his life, from conception in the womb, it was to be one of holy, sanctified and separated from the things of the world. And it really is clear, isn't it, as I've hinted perhaps, the symbolism of the type of the Saviour to come is hard to ignore. He shall begin to deliver his people. It's a very interesting phrase. Notice that uh, the people weren't fully delivered until Samuel comes along and leads the army at the Battle of Mizpah. But he shall begin to deliver Israel. And again... When we're looking at the Saviour, his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall deliver his people from their sins. The message about Jesus was a completed work, wasn't it? He shall deliver 
It is a work that will be done and would be completed rather than begin uh, to deliver his people. And again, as the angel speaks to Manoah's wife, Samson's mother herself should begin this manner of life while the child was still unborn, that Samson might be characterised all the days of his life. And God, as we read earlier, God made provision for the Nazarite form of life in the law. As we read Numbers uh, 6, we can read the rest of the chapter at your leisure. But it's a very interesting uh, provision that God makes for men and women to separate themselves for a period of time in order to give thanks and express gratitude and thanks. So, Samson was set apart to be a Nazarite even as Jesus Christ was set set apart to be uh, the saviour of his people. By designating Samson to be a Nazarite all his life, the angel was saying that he should be a truly dedicated person all the days of his life. Now, as you read back there in Numbers, it was often the case that the people would take the vow only for a a limited period of time. They would make a vow, they would abstain from strong drink and from all the other things for a period of time and then the vow would come to an end. But here Samson is designated to be a Nazarite all the days of his life. And as we shall observe, Samson did quite well for much of his life, but in his latter days he did fall into quite grievous sin. Contrast this again if we continue the symbolism or the typology of Jesus Christ himself knew no sin. He was the lamb without spot or blemish. But we have, as we often say in the Old Testament, these types and shadows of the one who was to come. Samson as a Nazarite, of course, one set apart, is also quite symbolic of the nation of Israel itself. God set them apart, didn't he? As his own peculiar people. Uh, They were not to mix with the world around. They were not to get involved with idolatry. They were not to marry foreign women. They were designed to be God's separate people. Sadly, of course, in the same way, although for many years and periods they did worship the true God, for many periods as well, uh, they oscillated between good and evil. They oscillated between the work of God and the worship of idols. And so Samson is symbolic in one side of the saviour to come, but also, uh, if you like, in a little microcosm, a picture of the people of Israel that he was about to deliver himself. Why was Samson to be a Nazarite? We see this was not required to be a qualification or a requirement for any of the other judges uh, that God had raised up. Samuel, again, was to be entrusted with a continual miracle, if you like, of great physical strength. We don't read this particular fact about an extraordinary gift given to any other of the judges. But Samson himself is set apart. He's 
giving him this great gift of physical strength and God was granting him here if we continue through the book of Judges and look at the exploits of Samson which we will will next time God was granting him a high privilege but at the same time in making him live under the vow of a Nazarite he imposes a heavy responsibility you see he would have had this responsibility to refuse temptation Uh, perhaps he may have been tempted to use his great strength for his own selfish ends and his own personal benefit he also had the responsibility to remain humble to recognise that his unique gift was to be used only uh, for the glory of God so difficult this isn't it for human beings to attribute all their gifts, all their abilities to the great gift of the almighty God himself so much in the world today you know people are lauded for their own achievements um, in medicine in science in music but all these abilities all these facilities that are granted faculties that are given to individual men come from their creator themselves and so we've jumped on one jumped on one that's right So the outward performance of the Nazarite vows were in many ways suited uh, to help Samson perform his responsibilities. If he was faithful day by day to carry out his Nazarite vows, he would have found it a daily reminder, wouldn't he, that he could not forget so long as he adhered to them. And the principle of the vow was that he should separate himself from anything uh, that was worldly. Samson's great strength, uh, we learn and understand, lay in his continued performance of his Nazarite vows. be interesting when we come to it that uh, he reveals the secret of his great strength. So, as we read on through the chapter, we find that uh, Manoah's wife comes to her husband as she tells him and she says a man of God came to me and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God very awesome but I did not ask him where he was from and he did not tell me his name and he said to me behold you should conceive and bear a son and she goes on Manoah responds to this he wasn't there was he so he responds to this and he prays to the Lord and said oh my Lord please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what shall we do for the child who will be born. Manoah's prayer. A prayer for more information. He wants the man to come back. He wants to know what lay in store uh, for this child that was to be born. He says, oh my, let the man of God whom you sent to us come again and teach us what shall we do for the child who is to be born what manner of man the child will be what will he do Manoah wanted to know all these things and I suppose in some ways as um, fathers if we know it's going to be a boy or once a boy arrives we begin to think of all the great things our son is going to do will he be a great sportsman will he be a professor will he be a politician all these things flash before our eyes don't we in those minutes of realisation 
that we have a son. And I suppose in some ways it's natural for Manoah to come and to ask these things. But in this case, because this child had been foretold by the angel of the Lord, was Manoah's request out of order? Perhaps it was because the angel, when he returns, doesn't give him absolutely any more information. There's no further advance on the information already given. And the outcome of this, of course, was that Manoah and his wife were to wait patiently for God's will and God's purpose to be worked out. Of course, God does have his will and purpose worked out, and no matter what great plans we as fathers or we as parents have for our children, God's will and God's purposes will be worked out in them. Of course, we pray earnestly that they will follow, perhaps, in their parents' footsteps to become uh, Christians, to honour God, to serve God. Uh, but that alone, though we are called to pray for them, that alone is in God's hands as well. So they were to wait patiently for God's will and God's purpose to be worked out. And Manoah, of course, was typical of any person in any era wanting to know the future, particularly relating to their child. And God holds back here the details of future events from his people in order to promote greater faith and greater trust. So Manoah does not recognise the visitor, as did not Gideon when the visitor came to him. And they find here two significant issues. The burnt offering, which was suggested by the angel, was to be made to the Lord. The implication that Manoah would learn the angel's identity by means of this sacrifice, the sacrifice was thus approved. The angel describes his name as wonderful uh, when Manoah asks. And we read just this, his thought is reinforced, isn't it? He did a wondrous thing, the scripture tell us. He did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. And then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. Manoah got his answer uh, in all that was done. And so we see in those verses there, verse 22, Manoah says to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. Fear struck his heart. His wife had already told him the visitor uh, was like the countenance of the angel of God, very awesome. Yes, the realisation of the fact that they had come to face to face and had been in the presence of God struck fear into Manoah's heart. We shall surely die. And this has happened previously in other interventions where God or the angel of the Lord had appeared. And I think the thought that we can take with us from this particular fact is that we may never lose sight of the awesomeness of God. We come into the presence of a loving Heavenly Father when we come to pray. But nevertheless, that Heavenly Father is still an amazing, almighty, everlasting, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing God. He is our Creator. We're accountable to him. Uh, but he has, in his love, uh, sent his love into our hearts. So may we never lose sight of the awesomeness of God. And then there comes 
the response from Manoah's wife, a word of comfort, the comfort of Manoah's wife in full faith, reasoning. This is wonderful, isn't it, that she's given this insight. It's surprising, isn't it, that it's not Manoah, the husband, the man, who has these comforting words. But the words come from his wife. If Yahweh meant to kill us, we would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands. We read that, didn't we, in number six uh, from our hands. Nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things at this time. There is a wonderful word of comfort for Manoah and for him, his wife as well. She has the faith uh, to believe these things. It was to her, perhaps, because of the specific revelation that she had personally, that she has given this gift of faith uh, to make these statements. And in many ways, these passages speak to us of the need for balance. Yes, we should be in fear, in holy fear of Almighty God, but we also come to a loving, caring, heavenly Father. Let's keep the balance in our day-to-day relationship and also in our praying. Or just a few final thoughts. Chapter 13 is unique in the book of Judges. Uh, There is no other nativity. The only other information of background we have was we considered where Jephthah came from and the fact that he was driven out. We have some little background, very, very little background about Jephthah. And why is the nativity of Samson given so much attention? Well, in this instance, Yahweh did not raise up a man or available already, as in the case of the other judges, as we said right at the beginning. He were, as it were, as Dale Ralph David's words, grew one from scratch to prove that he knows what is about to happen and always is ready with the solution. He has a plan which he has had from before the world was made and in many ways, again to quote Dale Ralph Davis, there is no crisis management found in God's dealings with his great creation. God knew that man would need rescuing from the beginning, for the beginning of the world. God knew that man would need rescuing. God foretold the birth of one far greater than Samson. Just to close with that verse from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. There's a very personal aspect in that verse. As Peter speaks to the people church of the dispersion, he focuses it in a very personal way. He said, but it was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, there's the process, there's the order, we believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith, and in many ways your hope, are in God. What a wonderful picture we have surrounding Samson. There's so much here, before even Samson begins his work, so much that we can learn uh, from this account of his birth and coming into the world. And in many ways it does open the subject, doesn't it? Uh, For the work of the Saviour, the greater than Samson, whose birth was foretold those thousands of years before, and indeed who came 
and fulfilled that prophecy, fulfilled that word. Well, may God bless his